Father, you know that if sins were counted, none of us could stand. And it is astonishing that you should come to us in the Son of God, in his incarnation, in his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on this Palm Sunday for peace and not for war. Lord, we have looked at ourselves in the mirror and we have seen in the scriptures the reflection of our own hearts and, of course, there's no one righteous. And so we cry out to you for mercy, O God, and we have gathered in your name to adore you. Please open our minds to understand the scriptures this morning. Amen. So welcome, everyone, uh, guests, visitors. Welcome, brothers and sisters. Today is Palm Sunday. Next Sunday is Easter, Resurrection Sunday. Palm Sunday celebrates the triumphal entry of the Lord Christ into Jerusalem. It comes during the week of Passover when large crowds of people had traveled to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast of the Passover, which they celebrated for eight days. And our scripture reading today, as soon as we get to it in uh, the book of John, um, occurs at the beginning of that feast when everyone is gathering in Jerusalem. They gathered to remember when the people were spared from the angel of death in Egypt as they feasted on the Passover lamb and they were saved. Today, we celebrate Palm Sunday, the peaceful entrance of Christ into the city of Jerusalem and its temple. Teresa read Luke's account of the triumphal entry, and we are about to read John's account of the same event. Both accounts quote a prophecy given by the prophet Zechariah in about the year 520 B.C., to encourage the people of Israel who had just returned from exile in Babylon and were rebuilding the city and the temple, this very city. But they had no king. Turn to Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Zechariah gave this word of prophecy from the Lord. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, why would a king enter a city on a donkey instead of on a war horse. Why might that be? Because he came in peace. In the ancient Middle East, the custom was for rulers to ride on donkeys if they came for peace, and on the war horse if they came for war. Read on with me. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 10. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, And he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Look at verse 10. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, or Ephraim, 
Ephraim is a nickname for the northern half of Israel. And Jerusalem is the city in the center of the, two, of, the, of the southern half of Israel. I will cut off the chariot. So that's the main vehicle for war. And the war horse from Jerusalem, with no, with no mounted cavalry, there, there's no one to lead the charge. There is no charge. And the battle bow shall be cut off. No long-range weaponry. And he shall speak Peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, and from the river, that's the Euphrates, to the ends of the earth. And the question as we read that is exactly what are the geographical boundaries of that kingdom? Okay, can we get the map? How quickly could we get the map up? Ah, oh, you are very fast. Okay, let's see if I have a pointer. I'm going to point. So... Here's Jerusalem, here's little Israel, so there's Ephraim and there's Judah with Jerusalem in the center. Over there is the river Euphrates, just mentioned, from the river to the ends of the earth. Thank you. And from sea to sea. Thank you. So you have this, this river, the Euphrates, which curls around like so. So it says he'll rule from the river to the ends of the earth. So, in which direction? All of them is the correct answer. From the river to the ends of the earth. The Middle East is called the Middle East because it's in the middle of the great continents, Asia, Africa, Europe. And there is the Euphrates in the middle of the Middle East. And from sea to sea, it means all of the coastlands. And within all of the coastlands are all of the lands. Thus will be his reign. This is a prophecy of the reign of peace of the Messiah, which will be consummated or finished or fulfilled on that day of his return, and which was inaugurated on the day of his ascension and his session or sitting down on his throne. And it has begun as the gospel is spreading and spreading and spreading in all lands. And this is the prophecy to a humble and broken and really humiliated people from the prophet Zechariah as they've just returned from exile, well, some of them. And this is a great prophecy. Turn with me through your Bibles about 550 years to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, chapter 12. John chapter 12, verse 12. And pause there. And if you like, you can close your eyes and remember with me. Now, 30 years before that, before Jesus is about to enter into Jerusalem, the birth of Jesus was announced by the angels. And what did those angels sing? Did they sing... God has had enough with you rebels. They sang, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. Peace to those with whom he is pleased or peace to those on whom his favor rests. This is the best word that has ever been spoken and is one of my favorite scriptures. 
John chapter 12, verse 12. This is the beginning of the Feast of Passover. Jesus has come to Jerusalem that week. He was staying just outside Jerusalem in the town of Bethany, uh, the house of Simon with Mary and Martha and others. And you know the story of uh, uh, Lazarus. Lazarus was there also with them. He had recently raised Lazarus from the dead. And those in Jerusalem had heard about it. And so... We're about to see those who had streamed to Jerusalem to celebrate this great feast, this annual feast, were like everybody, if possible, in the country and even from other countries who were Jewish or converts to, to the Lord uh, would travel on like, think of it as a business trip that you take every year, except it, think of it as like Easter or Christmas that you celebrate every year. And Passover was this great, grand feast, and everybody, like, took off work, left everything if they could, and they would travel to Jerusalem for the feast of Passover. And that is what they are gathered here to celebrate. This is the beginning of a week, eight days of celebration, right? And Jesus, with his disciples, are now coming down from the Mount of Olives. And as the mountain curls around, as the road curls around the mountain, the city Jerusalem comes into view, elevated above the valley below, surrounded by mountains. And this is what happens. Verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, pause, why have they got palm branches? All right, think of this as they have those party poppers. They have, I don't know, champagne bottles they're pouring out in celebration like people might at the New Year. They have uh, streamers and ribbons and balloons. They have horns and trumpets. That, that is all, these palm branches are analogous to all such things, things we might use in, in, a, in a grand celebration. They grab whatever they can to celebrate and to adore him because they have heard about all of the miracles he has done, and now they've heard that he raised someone from the dead. And the murmur and the conversation spreading through Jerusalem is, who must this man be? And and the gathering anticipation is that he is the king from the prophecies, is that after all these years of Babylonian oppression, after all these years of Greek rule, after all these years of Persian rule, Persian then Greek, after all these years of Roman oppression with a capital O, with the crucifixions and the violence and the harsh suppression of rebellions, taxation, after all these years, maybe God's still going to fulfill these words that we had been hoping for. But in a week, Jesus is going to be crucified, and they still don't understand these things, although they will. Suffering and joy mixed together, as is normal in the Christian life. Verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, which means, like, save. The word Hosanna 
and the, the word that we kind of transliterate into the word Jesus both come from the same root, the word for save or the Lord saves. So when they cry out Hosanna, it is a fitting cry. They're identifying him with the king of the prophecies, and they're saying, maybe you can save us. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey, found a young donkey, not riding a war horse. He found a young donkey, and he sat on it. Praise the Lord for drawing near to his people, even this city who in a few short days at the end of Holy Week is going to cry out, crucify, crucify. And he will be lifted up on that cross to die. And it is to this very people that he comes riding a donkey, even as he does to us today. Just as it is written from the prophet Zechariah, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. This is John's account. In Luke's account in the Gospel of Luke, which Teresa just read, um, they said they, he records there that they went up to Jesus and, I don't know, over the, over the boundaries of the, the road going down and back and up into Jerusalem, um, I can just see them like leaning over the palm branches and like, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Obviously, they didn't think he could save them or that they needed saving. So it is into this city of violence, this city of bloodshed, the city that has rejected the prophets and those sent to them, that Jesus rides with peace. Just like we sang in the hymn this morning, which uh, uh, is one of my favorite hymns. We actually played it at our wedding. Um, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. I feel that. Amen. Prone to leave the God I love. And so it is to us today, on this Palm Sunday, that the Lord rides again, and he rides to us humble, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He comes in peace. As is written in Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. If we so uh, if we are peacemakers like him, then we show ourselves to also be sons of God. In the Bible, sons, in most contexts, includes daughters, but it says sons because in the old days, if you were not born male, if you were born female, you didn't get 
certain legal or inheritance rights, but in the Bible, God says, that's not my way. Everybody gets the inheritance. And the inheritance is to the peacemakers. Blessed or, or joyful are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now I'm going to do something a little unusual before we continue. I would like to pause um, for a meditation on several of my favorite scripture passages that have become precious to me. I'd just like to read through them. If you'd like to jot down the references, um, these have been great grace to me. These are good ones to memorize. I recommend you write them down, write them on a note card, write it out electronically on your phone and make it your background so you see it every time your phone on. It's on. Type it, print it, paint it, put it on your wall. Romans 16:20. The God of peace, this is spoken to the peacemakers. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Romans 16:20. John 14:27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So when I am troubled, which is most days, when I'm afraid, which is often, I sometimes think about that. I'm like, but I am troubled and afraid. And then I remember it says, don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. He is telling me. And in his words are the power to receive those words and for them to be fulfilled in me by the power of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 26.3. I think I first came to know this scripture um, as a boy or a young man. I believe it was printed on a little plastic placard with sticky things on the back. And I carried it with me as I uh, left home and went away to college and traveled to Ohio. And I think it has since then been lost. But I used to take it and I'd stick it somewhere prominent, like in my room or you know, next to the mirror, wherever in the bathroom. And I have read it hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. And right now, for the last couple of months, it's been on a three by five note card um, on my dashboard next to the clock. So when I get into the car, I see it. I have intimately fellowshiped with this scripture, Isaiah 26, three. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Psalm 29.11, may the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace, or the Lord will give his people peace, or the Lord will bless his people with peace. And finally, Psalm 4, a near and dear one. Psalm 4.8, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. When I moved to, uh, in, in Dayton city limits, I, I moved from, you know, Alaska where there are bears and whatever, and, you know, Yellow Springs where there are unusual people. Um, <laughs> then I moved to Dayton uh, where... I heard this explosion in the back alleyway when we, our first night, and I was like, oh my God. 
And since then, I have some nights awakened and thought, all right, somebody breaks in, what am I going to do? Okay, I'm going to go here, I'm going to do that, I'm going to get him. Or, or I hope I get him. And, you know, it's, it's the anxious thoughts you have for the night, right? I hope you don't have those thoughts. But it really everybody does sometimes. And for this, the psalmist David wrote for us at the anointing of the Holy Spirit, Psalm 4. Read it at night. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. By its great might, it cannot deliver. Let's return to the Gospel of John. John chapter 12, verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. You remember last week, Greg said, Greeks is how we usually translate uh, the word for barbarian in the New Testament. So when it says Greeks, it's, these may not have actually been people who lived in Greece as a nation, right, or as a region. Uh, these might have been anybody who weren't Jewish. These might have been barbarians who didn't speak, you know, uh, the language of the Jewish people or the languages, since Jewish people normally also spoke Greek at this time, Aramaic. This verse comes here at no accident. The Pharisees said to one another, look, the world has gone after him. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip. You see, the world was beginning to go after Jesus. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, you know, Galilee of the Gentiles, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus changed the subject and started talking about his crucifixion. Have you guys ever read it that way? It's confusing, as it sometimes is in the Gospels, when it seems like Jesus doesn't answer their question and he changes the subject. Jesus understands here exactly what is happening. It's the feast of the Passover. He has already set his face like flint to come to Jerusalem, like, like hard as a rock, right? He's, he's put his teeth together and he is as determined as a stone is unmovable to go to Jerusalem knowing what awaits him there, and knowing, like some in the crowd had recently cried out, you know, Lord, they're trying to kill you there. <laughs> he knew. No one takes my life from me, he said. And so seeing these Greeks coming who want to see him, who want to see him high and lifted up, he says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So you're talking about death. This is the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. This is, the, this is the day for whom the psalm was written. 
Lift up your heads, O mighty gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, for the King of glory has come in, that the King of glory may come in. This is the day that psalm was fulfilled, and it was written for him on this day. And now he's talking about a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies. Jesus, you're so confusing. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered? Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Who is that talking about? It's talking about Satan. Satan is the accuser of the brothers. Romans 8.1 Jesus is the king who comes to judge the accuser and to declare over you in a loud voice, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. When you are anxious or lying awake in your bed at night, worried and upset about many things. Remember this word. Jesus is interceding for you. As it says in the book of Hebrews, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. The Lord Jesus is in heaven right now and he will never stop praying for his lambs. Though there be savage wolves, though there be trials and tribulations, which there will be and are, praise the Lord. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He will never stop interceding for us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Isaiah 53.12 says, He bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. As Jesus said to the woman caught in sin, woman, where have your accusers gone? And over us today, he speaks that. Where have your accusers gone? If Christ Jesus is the one who died, what more sacrifice for my sins is needed? So as the Greeks came, as the whole world was beginning to come, which as we see when we get back to Acts uh, chapter 2 in two weeks, the week after Easter, we'll see that 
the, the nations are streaming to the people of God and that the light is breaking forth into the world. And this is just the foretaste, even before the atoning death of the Lord, not just for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world, all those who are called by his name and who come to him. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. The accuser of the brethren is hurled down forever. When did that happen? It happened at the atonement. And Jesus said, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law, they're talking about the prophecies of Jesus written throughout the Jewish scriptures, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. They knew the prophecies. They knew that the coming king, the son of David, was going to come and he was going to reign forever and ever, and that the government would be upon his shoulders, and that he'd be called Wonderful and Counselor and Prince of Peace, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, that his reign would never end. And so they're like, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man would be lifted up? In those days, they called getting crucified being lifted up. So Jesus said to them, and you go back. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? And that is the question before us today. As we prepare to close, please turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. They said, who is this Son of Man? You see, they didn't understand resurrection. They didn't understand that Jesus is eternal and that the cords of death could not hold him. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. And if we could have the communion servers come forward at this time, please. Who is this son of man? He is the image of or one might say the manifestation, the image of the invisible God. He is the incarnation of he who is invisible. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, which means not the one born first, but the one who has all the rights. He is the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, that's all kings in heaven and on earth, that's Satan and his demons. All things were created by him, were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. What is that as to yet not clearly discovered force that holds matter together. Yeah. He holds together all things by the word of his power. Amen. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, 
the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That is something radically different than the Holy Spirit coming to indwell or make his home in the life of the believer. In that, the Holy Spirit, the Lord himself, really does enter into you and make you a new creation. This is talking about something categorically different. In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, such that he was fully human as you are, and he was fully eternal God, unchanged. And in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. We'll pause there, and let us please come at this time to feast at the table of the Lord.